0: Richard Wormbrand underwent torture in Romania during 14 years in prison. But after he came out of prison, he was still fearless for the gospel. When he came to the United States, Richard attended a meeting where church leaders were praising communism. And in his fearlessness, Richard spontaneously walked to the stage and grabbed the microphone. Merv Knight tells
1: the story. So he pushed his way onto the platform and grabbed the microphone. So then he ripped off his shirt, bared himself to the waist.
0: Richard took off his shirt in public, displaying his scars.
1: Nasty marks on his body from torture, with red-hot pokers and knives and who knows what.
0: He was able to tell through his own life the truth about communism.
1: And the police came in and arrested Richard. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.
0: Welcome to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. This week we are going to hear from someone who in many ways, was there at the beginning. He was someone who worked closely with Pastor Richard Wormbrand, who's the founder of the Voice of the Martyrs. He also has been a longtime member of our board here for VOM USA, uh, and that person is Merv Knight. He is uh, one of the co-founders of our sister mission in Australia. Merv, welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio.
1: Thanks, Todd. It's great to be here with you.
0: When did you first meet Richard Wormbrand?
1: on the 1st of August, 1969.
0: And you remember the day.
1: I do remember the day because that's the day he flew into Sydney and I was at the airport to meet him. That was the first time I'd ever laid eyes on him.
0: But at that point, you had already read Tortured for Christ. Yeah. and So you knew a little of his story.
1: That's how it all happened. Uh, in 1968, a small group of us in Australia read Tortured for Christ. It was Well, it was a new book. that was published, I think, in 1967. And uh, we happened to get a hold of a copy of it in 1968. We read it with great interest and, of course, it was a great challenge to us because it told us about things that we had no idea that were happening in a part of the world. And uh, as a result of reading the book, we decided that the Australian Christians should have an opportunity to hear this man's testimony firsthand. So simply, as a result of reading his book, we wrote him a letter and invited him to come. That letter went off in, I think it was September 1968. Within a couple of months he agreed to come, but of course he had lots of other commitments and so it was, was uh, well into 1969 by the time he could make it.
0: And so you went to the airport, you picked him up, you then helped take him around to different churches and sure. speaking engagements. What was kind of your first impressions of him when you met him in person?
1: After having read his book, it was almost a little bit overwhelming to meet him in person. But, uh, I mean, really, he's, uh, he's a very friendly person. He uh, is very interested in people. So he always tried to make us feel comfortable with him and and that happened quite quickly and uh, especially, you know, picking him up from where he was staying, driving him to meetings, being part of the meeting, taking care of him after the meeting, driving him back. uh, So we had a lot of close association and uh, fellowship.
0: I know one time you told me a story and, and of, of Richard going into a strip club. And we, <laughs> we don't want to say, uh, you know, Richard went to strip clubs. That's not the case. But share that story because I, I think it's quite a picture of the way his mind worked and the way his heart worked towards other people.
1: It was really on his first night in Sydney. He arrived and we, we took him to a hotel In Kings Cross, which is the red light area, but it was what in those days was called a temperance hotel, had no alcohol, and we thought, well, you know, it'd be a good place for him to stay, and uh, so we took him and and checked him in there and said, All right, Pastor, we're going to leave you here now, we know you've had a trip to to come, and we're going to leave you uh, and uh, let you rest overnight, and we'll be back tomorrow to collect you and take you to your first meeting because he always likes to walk quite a bit and he decided after being in his room for an hour or two that he ought to go for a walk, so he went out for a walk in King's Cross. He came to uh, this place that was well decorated on the outside and he decided to go in, because he was wearing his dark suit and his clerical collar. And uh, now today, of course, it probably wouldn't, would hardly cause a stir, but this was 1969, and uh, he told us the place went quiet. So he proceeded on down and stepped up onto this little bit of a platform there at the front, then he gave a little bit of a testimony and a story of who he was, and went on his way. He was uh, always ready to go to wherever people were at, to meet them, and to testify to them, uh, to tell them his own story, but to tell them where he'd come from. He said, I'd go into a, to a communist meeting if they invited me. Anywhere that they would open the way for me, I'll go to tell them about Christ and, and to tell them about the persecuted church. And even when we arranged meetings for him, he would often say, you know, you make a mistake in sending the advertising out just to Christians and out to churches send it to the universities uh, send it to the trade unions get, get send the information to the people who you might think are anti because they're the people I, I want to talk to they're the people I want to reach. You also had a great love for the Russian people you, you know and even though communism we would think of as having come from Russia, Richard still loved the russian people and he really wanted to be a missionary to the russians you know but it wasn't possible living in romania first of all under nazi times during the second world war and then and then in communist times when uh, the russians came in in 1944 and took over the country there was just no possibility i mean it was almost impossible to maintain christian work and witness in Romania itself, which had to be done underground, which of course is why he went to prison. But he still had this great love for the Russian people. And he had prayed that God would enable him to take the gospel to the Russians. But you know, it just didn't eventuate. So when the Russians invaded the country with a million soldiers in 1944, he praised the Lord. He said, oh, I can't go to Russia, but God has sent the Russians to me. And he immediately set about an underground work to the Russians. And and he went down some side street somewhere and found a printer who was ready to print Gospels in the Russian language for him. And so he had uh, 100,000 Gospels printed. And then he got together a team, and uh, there. Work was to get out and approach the Russian servicemen and and uh, give them the gospel. And one one of his workers was a lady named uh, Bianca Bianca Adler. Uh, I I don't know what her maiden name was. She later became Bianca Adler, and, and later, in fact, uh, became director of uh, Voice of the Martyrs in New Zealand. But she was won to the Lord by Richard in his church. Before 1948, before he went to prison. Oh, wow. And and when the Russians came in in 1944, uh, he took hold of her to be part of his team, and she told the story, and she wrote it in a book, uh, how she would go to the train station because the Russians took over all of the trains. She said there were none left for the Romanians to use. The Russians took over the trains, and they were all used for troop movements and so on through the country and uh, she would go down and stand on the train station, which would be full, the train would be full of Russian soldiers. And uh, she would just wait there with a, a bag she had full of gospels standing around as though she was watching the train and watching the soldiers. And and then only when the train began to move, she'd quickly move in because the soldiers were all hanging out the windows and looking and waving, and, and, and she'd quickly hand out these... Gospel, which were very willingly taken. Uh-huh. And then they always had a KGB minder on the train and he was at the <laughs> other end and she told me how, you know, he would be looking and to be leaning out the window and shaking his fist at her and mouthing swear words at her. And then, of course, he'd make his way through the train to collect this contraband, but uh, the soldiers by then had yeah. stuffed them inside their tunics and moved off and... So that was a bit of her missionary work, and, and that was that was Richard's attitude towards the Russians yeah. invading his
0: country. It, it says a lot about a person, and in this case Richard particularly, that a million soldiers invade your country, and you say, praise the Lord, Lord that's he's, right. yeah. he's yeah. brought these uh, Russians to me because I want to minister to Russians, isn't this great? Uh, it, it gives you a kind of a picture of how he saw the world and just the fact that, that he could say, hey, this is a great ministry opportunity. The same thing happened in prison. I, I think, you know, when he went to prison, he didn't say, oh, you know, the Lord is punishing me or the Lord has forgotten about me. He said, okay, now I'm in prison. Who can I minister to? What? Who can I talk to?
1: Yeah, well, she said, I was in prison and I had a captive audience. And <laughs> uh, um, I preached and, and they listened. and." Uh, uh, he told a story, he kind of told it in the third person, but I really am pretty convinced that he was talking about himself. When He talks about a prisoner was preaching in the prison and uh, the uh, guards came and opened the door and broke up the meeting and took the preacher out and took him away and, and beat him. Uh, because of what he was doing, Mm -hmm. and in due course, they brought him back, beaten and bloodied, and threw him on the floor, and then he got himself together and looked up and then said, now, where was I when we were interrupted, (laughs) and continued on with his sermon. Let's go on with point number two. Yeah, (laughs)
0: Let's transition a little bit from Richard and Sabina. You obviously have been involved in the ministry since that time, traveled all over the world into hostile and restricted countries. What are some of your experiences traveling that that are very memorable in terms of the Christians that you met who maybe just come out of prison or who were persecuted for their faith? Who are some of those heroes that, that you remember from those travels?
1: In the early years, you know, some of those countries were pretty difficult to enter. And and uh, very, very few of us were able to go behind the Iron Curtain before 1990. We did get into other parts of the world, uh, and and it wasn't always communist oppression. Mm-hmm. Like we got into Indonesia, where, uh, well, there, were, there had been... Uh, communist oppression there but that was turning to Muslim oppression but uh, we managed to get into Vietnam where you know 20 years ago it was quite different to the scene that it is today Uh, although still there are many difficulties there and we uh, were able to penetrate China and I travel quite a bit in those countries. I traveled quite a bit in Vietnam and Indonesia, in China and went to Laos and, and uh, had the opportunity to minister to Christians there. I remember meeting a man in China. Well, I met, of course, quite a few people in China and, you know, they're all different. They all have their own story to tell. And uh, I met a guy in Guangzhou. His name was Brother Lee. And he was a pastor, and he had a whole group of house churches that he ministered to when he he travelled around. Because he ran foul of the authorities, they didn't like what he's doing, and it's amazing the lengths to which they would go to stop his work. He had a house that he used for an underground church meeting, so they came along and uh, welded a big steel door or great gate uh, right across the doorway of the house, so that uh,
0: nobody can get in. Nobody could get
1: in and uh, I mean the house became useless to anybody because just nobody could get in. So the Christians still came and they sat in the laneway outside the house, and uh, Brother Lee mani- uh, ministered to them there in the open air. And so then they came, and they believe it or not, built a brick wall right across the lane just simply to stop these people meeting in the name of the Lord because wow. he was arrested yeah. and uh, he he was uh, put into prison and on, on one occasion his wrists were handcuffed to his ankles and so he was left like that for something like two weeks. Oh my. Every bodily need he had had to be met with his hands handcuffed to his ankles, and to eat his food and whatever, uh, and to sleep, uh, he, he was simply in in that uh, position the whole time. Uh, eventually, they released him. Uh, then they arrested him again, and uh, he passed. He had to make, you know, the Christmas lights we put on our Christmas trees. Mm-hmm. You have a look carefully at the label; you'll practically always find "Made in China," and uh, that was one of the things he did in prison. And we need to remember that when we go and buy such things and use them for our celebrations, maybe they were made by our brothers and sisters in Christ in a prison somewhere. They could arrest him and put him in jail and hold him there for, I think it was 14 days or 15 days, without charging him with anything. So they would put him in jail and and hold him there, and then on, the say, the 14th day, they would release him. So they didn't have to charge him with anything, but just kept him there. And uh, that was a way to disrupt his uh, program, his mm-hmm. preaching ministry. Mm-hmm. He never knew, when he went to church, whether he was going to come home or go to prison. And so time after time, he was arrested and he missed a couple of Sundays, and then they let him out again. and. He uh, got to the point there where he packed a little suitcase and always carried it within the church and had in it not his Bible but essential things he would need in prison because uh, he wanted to be prepared that when they did take him to prison, he had those essential things. And we asked his wife, what do you think about what your husband is doing and, and uh, his ministry? You, you know, this has been going on for months and you never know when he goes off to minister to the the house church if he's coming home or not, if he's going to go to prison. Uh, she looked at us and simply said, doesn't it say in the Bible those who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution? I mean, this is what we've always wow. been taught. That's what we expect. What are you asking a question for? not a for? surprise. <laughs> what's, <Yeah. laughs>
0: what's your problem? <laughs> yeah. 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 When, you, when you go and you meet someone like Pastor Lee and his family, What do you bring home with you and what do you try to put into practice in your own faith that you learn from them?
1: Well, it deepens my faith and deepens my commitment when I consider how easy life for me as a Christian is in a country like Australia. And I walk down the street and I hardly have opened my mouth and talk about the Lord, and yet these people are prepared to be out there talking about their Saviour and witnessing for the Lord and have a burden on their hearts to bring other people to the Lord and are prepared to pay whatever price it may be, if it's to go to prison, if it's to face death, uh, if it's to face torture and humiliation. They're up there for it and they're ready to pay the price, whereas uh, in our society uh, we're, we're almost frightened to open our mouths because of the ridicule we we might face because we profess to be a Christian. So I think it's a a faith deepening experience. You know, what you realize is when you you go to them, you think, here I'm coming to them to encourage them, but of course I found it was myself who came away encouraged because of their faith and because of their witness. But at the same time... Having said that, often one of the biggest things we could bring to them was simply to be there, mm-hmm. to be with them, to fellowship with them, to pray with them. You know, we did all kinds of things. Of course, we, we helped them set up secret printing presses. We provided literature for them. We provided help in kind for them. Uh, we enabled them to maybe have a, a little more food on their table. We helped them with clothing and they're all essential things to do. And yet, the very fact that we came there and spent time with them and shared ourselves with them and prayed with them obviously meant so much to
0: them. Yeah, the the times that I've had to travel, the, the thing that always sticks with me is the joy of the people that we serve. And you think, well, here's this guy who's been arrested all these times. I think of Pastor Wormbrand, 14 years in prison and yet there's that sense of excitement and joy and, hey, isn't God good? Isn't God wonderful? Isn't it great to walk with him? And we we need a little bit of that. You've been on the board of the United States Voice of the Martyrs for many years. What were some of the big challenges in those early years of VOMUSA, kind of getting things off the ground and, and reaching out into the American
1: church? Well, in America— Richard, uh, of course, was not that easily accepted, and in the early years, uh, he didn't find it all that easy to have opportunities to speak and to present the message that was burning in his heart because he said, I came here to be the voice of the martyrs, to speak on behalf of the martyr church. It bothered him that uh, he just couldn't get the opportunities that he sought. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm i sure you know the story that it was in the days of the Vietnam War and uh, Richard saw an anti-Vietnam War demonstration advertised in the paper and this is something he found it difficult to come to terms with. Here were Americans fighting in Vietnam against communism. Now he had just come from living under communism and living in communist prisons for 14 years, and yet here were the American people opposing their own military who were out there fighting against it. And so he decided to go to this demonstration, and, and uh, he was absolutely galled when he stood there and listened to the speeches that were being made, especially by men on the platform wearing a clerical collar. <laughs> and and uh, being the kind of man that he was, Richard could only tolerate so much, so he pushed his way onto the platform and grabbed the microphone and wanted to speak because they wouldn't let him speak and pushed him away. And so he pushed them away and grabbed the microphone and tried to speak, and they pushed him away and, uh, and he grabbed the microphone again. Now, during their discourses, they also had been denigrating the American police and and calling them the pigs, and the pigs this and the pigs that and everything else. So Richard eventually grabbed the microphone back and shouted into it, I want to tell you about the pigs. And, and, and then they were prepared to listen to him. So then he ripped off his shirt, bared himself to the waist, and of course he had 14 or 18, I think, nasty marks on his body from torture with red-hot pokers and knives and who knows what. And, you know, this was in 1967 and not many years after he'd come out of prison and these scars were still quite fresh and red raw and so on. And he pointed to the scars and said, look at this, this is what the pigs did to me and look at this, this is what the pigs did to me, and look at this, see what the pigs did to me. And, of course, everybody started rah-rah, clap-clap, and uh, then he said, but but I want to tell you it was the communist pigs. (laughs) 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 And then, of course, there was uproar, and the police came in and arrested Richard and charged him with indecent exposure under some obscure bylaw somewhere that existed in that town and bundled him into their car and drove him away. The story is, according to Rich, that they drove him about two blocks down the street and around the corner and got him out of the car and dusted him off and helped him dress himself again and patted him on the back and said, well, Reverend, you're doing a great job, but if we'd left you there, they would have torn you to pieces. But, <laughs> but, you see, the point is that this had been an advertised demonstration and and the television cameras were there and the press were there. And so all of this went to press across America in the newspapers the next day and on television news that night. And suddenly Richard Wormbrand became known and, and invitations began to flow in and the mission got started. So I think that was a miracle, yeah. as a, something God did to give everything a kickstart and, and, uh, and get the mission on the road.
0: As you think about our ministry now, here in the United States, in Australia, in free countries, what's the message for the church in those nations? And I think, you know, I think particularly in the United States, things are becoming less Christian. Being a Christian is less acceptable. It's less popular. It's less accepted in our culture. Do you think there is a particular message from our persecuted family for this time in our history?
1: Well, I think we still have the same message that we love you and we are praying for you and you are part of our family. And uh, we want to embrace you and be one with you and have fellowship with you. And we want to know about uh, your situation and your needs. and and uh, And again, remember, we are the family of God. As Christians, we are being developed as the bride of Christ and though it's hard to understand why even though it may be more difficult in America as it certainly is in Australia than it was 20 years ago, 40 years ago, uh, still we do have a a message, we have a message that the world needs and uh, we need a message of hope for our persecuted brothers and sisters. That, that they know we, we are here for them, that we love them, that we hear their cry. Um, you know, Richard used to use the example, um, if I jam my finger in the door, I don't just shake it off and say, well, that's only my finger, I've got another nine of them. Uh, don't worry about <laughs> it. He said, you know, my, my finger or my thumb is part of my body and my whole body feels the pain. And so it is that when, when our brothers and sisters in Christ suffer so much as they do in parts of the world today, we as part of the same body should feel the pain and we should cry out on their behalf and, and uh, do whatever we can. Just as if we hurt ourselves, we will bind up the wound and do what we can to help ourselves, so we should bind up the wounds and help our brothers and sisters in our Christian family. And uh, we should make it known to them that we are here for them and that we are one with them. And in some sense, we are suffering with them. We've been hearing from Merv Knight. He's the
0: co-founder of The Voice of the Martyrs Australia. He's been helping to remind us about the mission of The Voice of the Martyrs by telling us about the heart of the ministry's founders, Richard and Sabina Wormbrand. Today, the Voice of the Martyrs is encouraging and helping believers who face persecution around the world. In fact, some of the work that Voice of the Martyrs is doing is so sensitive, we can't talk about it on the air. But there are still Christians around the world who are living with the same courage and boldness that Richard and Sabina Wormbrand did. And here on the Voice of the Martyrs radio, we want to tell you as many of their stories as we can. Those stories are going to encourage you. When you hear about the faithfulness of our brothers and sisters, you're going to be inspired to be more faithful in your own walk with Christ. When you hear about their boldness, you're going to be inspired to be more bold with the people that you talk to about Jesus. Every story that we've ever told is available to you on our website, vomradio.net. That's vomradio.net to hear every single episode of Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Next week, we're going to hear from two women who have been imprisoned in Iran. They're going to talk about the miracles they saw in prison, how God was so faithful to them, even in one of the toughest places in the world. So I hope you'll be back to join us and hear their story next week on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.